Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're joined by special guest... Warren! And today we're going to talk a little bit about Death Note, but before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? On this podcast, we like to talk about games, but also Netflix movies based on anime, based on manga... Uh, so Warren has been on the cast before. Warren came on the cast for our Oscar bait podcast last year. Um, and, uh, uh, my understanding, Warren, is that you have not watched the anime. You have watched the movie. I mean, we've all watched the movie that just came out, the Death Note, um, uh, the one that came out for Netflix in August, directed by Adam Wingard, right? You know, with Willem Dafoe as Ryuk, and then a whole bunch of other, like, teeny boppers kind of and then mango you've watched the anime but have not read the manga yes and then i haven't done either of those things i also didn't watch the pilot because i forgot okay well (laughs) you should do that at some point um not that it's much of a pilot per se but it sets up the the anime pretty well um so what, what are your guys kind of first impressions oh also before we get into it spoilers for the movie spoilers for the manga spoilers for the anime if you're interested in seeing any of these spoiler-free, don't listen to this podcast. Um, that's that's all of that. No, that's out of the way. What did you guys think of of this movie? <laughs> I mean, I, I I mean, I was never going to really enjoy it. Uh, like, I was a part of the Death Note group when it was being released way back when, and I like followed most of the series as it was being released. However, many God, that's like well over a decade ago now. So. Or is it over? Yeah, it must be over a decade. Was it? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, so yeah, like the, this thing. I mean, you know, they Japan has tried to make a couple live action films, and to my understanding, none of those are very good. I, I didn't really care enough to watch those because when Death Note ended, I got over it. Uh, so you know, that's that. And, and and so so your feelings on the movie? How, how did you how did you feel on on the Netflix movie? I mean, it pure like okay. If I didn't have the reference point for the original source material, I would say, "Huh, that was kind of another bad Netflix thing." Like another thing you can find on Netflix, a dime a dozen, not very good. Uh, except for Willem Dafoe, I would always find that part great because Willem Dafoe. Um, but with the reference point of the original source material, this thing was a steaming pile of garbage. <laughs> okay. See, see, th- that's that, that's interesting because I I kind of so I I watched like I said I've I've watched the anime and I'm of the opinion that most of or rather about half of the anime itself isn't very good. Um, I'm not a fan of the near and mellow arc. Um, I also think kind of like most of the filler that happens while he doesn't remember what's happening is not very good. Um, and I think that. Um, the, the characters kind of get flanderized throughout the, as the series goes on. And I, I think there's flaws in the original thing. Um, and I think the mistake that was kind of hit on here by this movie is that it's not really an adaptation. Um, it's kind of like it's kind of like a what if story, whereas what if the death note got dropped in Seattle to like a weird, kind of, like, recluse teen instead of light Yagami, and kind of the the attempts to draw parallels by naming everybody the same were, I think, kind of misinformed, because they're not, like, like, none of the characters are, are similar to their, to their equivalents, right? Like, 
Uh, Ryuk is probably the closest, but like Light is nothing like Light. I don't feel like Mia is anything like Misa. Um, uh, Light's dad is nothing like Light's dad, which I, to its benefit, I actually like Light's dad better in this movie than um, in his, his anime adaptation. Um, I just think he's kind of like whatever in, in the anime. Um, and, and so um, I, I kind of, I actually kind of like this movie. Um, I, thought, I thought it had its, its flaws, but, but I, I enjoyed it. And buddy, what did you think? Having watched the movie twice, uh, I also am pretty, you know, I, I'm pretty, it's pretty easy for me to say that I, that I like this movie. Um, just from the, the kind of the perspective of it's, it's unique and it's interesting, right? Um, the thing that appeals to me, to me about this movie most, and I don't know that I would quite feel this way if I hadn't also seen Ghost in the Shell six months ago, um... Is how much is how clear it was that people really cared about this film, right? Um, and in a lot of ways, I kind of think that this is this is endemic of some of the problems that we have with kind of auteur filmmaking in general, right? Um, which is kind of the idea that, like, you know, like at the end, of, like we so okay, so to back up for a second, uh, in film theory terms, auteur theory essentially is just kind of like. The director is the person who has who has final say, which means they have the most control over you know like over what a movie is, sort of thing. And so it is he is the insofar as you want to identify a singular artist for any film, right? You identify the director. He's the person that most fits that kind of that most fits that kind of mold, right? Um, obviously, there are plenty of movies that are made more by committee, right? Um, I think it's very easy to see kind of how any of these generic Marvel movies, right? Like, like a movie like Ant-Man, right? That's not a movie that, that feels like, like a director-driven movie. That's a studio-driven movie, if that kind of makes sense, right? Um, and, uh, and people kind of fantasize, oh, well, if you just give the director, like, all of this control or whatever and let them do what they want, right, you'll get this, you know, you'll get this beautiful, artful masterpiece. But what I actually think you get most of the time is a movie like this, right which is inc which is unique and, and and it's interesting and you can see that there are things that the director is very very passionate about right but there's also a lot of things that he's not passionate about and he doesn't care about and he's just kind of like whatever you know like just what what whatever we're just going to keep kind of going right um, and i think that this kind of falls into that into that vein right i think it's a very interesting film uh, but I think it's flawed. Uh, it's kind of laughable how how massive some of the plot holes uh, that 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 crop up um, are. But uh, you know, I just <laughs> I can't help but I can't help but like it despite all of that. So so, so so that's, well, that that well the whole opinion that this clearly seems like a film made by someone who had license and vision. I didn't see that at all. Like, I saw the exact opposite. This very much looks like there was an original draft of how this script was, and then someone kept jutting in, no, it should probably be this way later, no, it should be this way. Like, I, I seriously think this is just another made-by-committee, but a committee that wasn't really on the same page. Uh, so, uh, I did a tiny bit of research into this, um... The first bit of it, which is that, um, like, this project has been turned around for, like, a really long time, and it's something that the, the, uh, uh, that Adam Wingard has been working really hard to get done, right? Like, he really wanted to, you know, like, he really wanted to, um, 
to get around to actually producing the film. It wasn't. It was in turnaround. Um, Shane Black uh, was was gonna direct it for a while, right? Um, all the way back. Uh, all the way back as in two thousand seven uh, is when the first kind of interest was like was kind of put on there. Um, but it eventually kind of all the way around got got picked up by uh, got picked up by Netflix. But the interesting thing about Netflix is Netflix, unlike every other studio out there, does not give notes. Uh, like most studios uh, will get what are called like dailies or whatever, right? Which is just kind of the stuff that that went uh, that that got done uh, during any individual day, and they'll and they'll they'll give back notes on that, right? Studio executives will be giving back notes uh, based on what on what they saw. But Netflix doesn't have a process like that at all. Uh, both for their TV shows, apparently, um, and for and for their movies, um, which is part of the reason that people are actually really like happy to work for them. Um, this, by the way, is all secondhand information that comes by way of Max Landis and uh, David Iyer, who work on who worked on a later Netflix movie that's coming out in December called Bright. Um, they talked about the appeal of Netflix being that Netflix just doesn't they don't give notes, right? They just kind of let you do what you want to do, and they tell you if they if they like it. Or if they don't, they don't get into, you know, if they want to make you change it kind of thing. Okay, um, so, so just kind of to pick on a couple of things that you, that you guys said there, um, let's just go with Warren first. Warren, what, what parts of you seemed, seemed like that, that, that spoke to you in that way, that it seemed like it was, that there was like a design by committee aspect to it? Uh, I mean, I think the biggest thing was trying to translate uh, very common, like, Japanese storytelling themes in a Western American setting. Uh, I mean, gosh, every single bit. Just, like, the, the, the changing of the tone of Light's father from policeman, who was also a salaryman, or at least in his notion of how he does things, uh, the global concepts of, well, I... Sorry, this is kind of long-winded part of it, but uh, a lot of the choices in the film, I think a very good one is the Ryuk situation. In this film, uh, there's an inference that everybody who dies is killed in some way by Ryuk, right? Like, dealer's choice. Like, Ryuk gets to decide how people die. Um, and that, of course, takes away the power from the Death Note, as if, like, the Death Note isn't really what kills people, it's just the thing that sends the killer, which is the Shinikami. That's not the concept in the manga or the anime. Uh, Ryuk is not the person who kills anybody, uh, besides one character at the very end. Um, and I know for a Western audience, that's an odd concept. You have a demon, but the demon is not the one actually going through with the killings. Uh, I mean, that, that choice right there made me question who decided what. Uh, when it came to that choice. I mean, it, the director really wanted it to be presented in that way instead, then fine. But it also seems like the kind of thing, like, someone would give the note, it doesn't make sense the demon's not killing people. Huh. See, I... I the My, my kind of takeaway from it was that... Because um, I'm, I'm not up on, on any of, like, the, the kind of, like, inside baseball details, or even, like, not very inside baseball details. Um, but that, that felt to me like a decision to make the movie different, significantly different from the anime. Um, like, that that felt like a a, a, a conscious decision. Like, it, in many ways in this movie, I think this movie was not supposed to be just Death Note again. I think it was supposed to be, like, I, I, I hesitate to say it this way, but, like, almost like the director's fan fiction of Death Note. Um, 
like how like how he would have written it. Um, uh, and I think that would have been a great movie. I just don't think this was that movie. See, I think I, the thing that appeals to me, and the thing that that makes me feel like uh, you know, like they kind of gave their all in some of this is stuff like the cinematography. Um, and the editing, uh, and the lighting especially. I mean, this is funny given that lighting. But, like, you know, like, the, the, the scenes of, like, um, uh, you could tell how much they really cared about that scene where Elle is sitting, or just kind of, like, kneeling on the, squatting on, like, the chair, and he's confronting light for the first time, and there's the neon in the window or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, they paid a lot of attention to this kind of thing, and it's not framed as just, you know, shot, reverse shot, kind of boring, normal, like, like Hollywood fare, right? He does the, uh, he kind of does, like, the Coen Brothers thing that they do this, where, like, they take you inside of the conversation, and the end of that conversation, they're having back and forth through POV shots, right? We're talking right to the camera as if they're talking to the when they're talking to like the other person. And I don't think you make decisions like that, <coughs> right? I don't think you put in all of these Dutch angles, right? Um, I I don't think this, you know, I don't think you use focus, right? You know, there's a lot of use of. Uh, keeping things out of focus. Ryuk, Ryuk is out of focus in a lot of his shots, uh, and you just kind of see, like, the fuzzy, like, you see his fuzzy red eyes and stuff like that, right? Like, I, I don't think that you you do those things. I don't think that you care about those details um, if this isn't a project that you're passionate about. And that's where the passion showed up to me on screen. Okay. Um... And just just to, to toss the the question back to you and in, to Buddy in in something that you said earlier, um, you said there were a lot of gaping plot holes, but I didn't really notice a lot that didn't get cleared up later. What what, what did you see that, that you thought was a big for, uh, plot hole? So one of the big ones, for instance, is um, Mia tells light. <laughs> Mia tells light uh, that that she was you know that she was behind kind of everything right right and, uh, and that she put his name in the book and all he had to do was give her the book and she would burn his name right and then he immediately goes to get the book right and this is the the moment where he gets the book and he he writes out his kind of crazy convoluted plan to save himself later um, in the pier or whatever <laughs> um, he could have just burned his own page. Why, like, why did he have to go oh, through that yep, that yep. whole process to, instead of just burning? He is the keeper at that moment. He gets to burn his own page when, whenever he wants, and so he he very easily could have done that. Um, but the film kind of frames it as in like, oh no, now I have to like, oh you know, overthink this this other sort of thing. Um, there's also a little bit of weirdness at the end with kind of whether or not the book can actually support if then statements. Um, where he kind of says, right, like, if you love me, you won't take the book sort of thing, right? Yeah. But then later, they show him writing it out, right? Like, as if he's giving her the choice, right? They, they can be together, they can be in love, all, all she has to do is not take, all she has to do is not take the book, right? Um, but, like, there, the, there's just a weird moment because then they read out what he actually wrote in and then he says something along the lines of, like, when you know, what, I can't even remember her name, Mia Sutton, I think, when Mia Sutton, or Mia, whatever, takes the, um, takes the, the book, uh, she falls, or, or the, the, the Ferris wheel suffers a, a mishap or whatever, and the whole thing is kind of framed as though that you could kind of make a, like, Mia has a choice in the matter, right? When Mia does this, you know, if Mia does this sort of thing, right. 
um, then, uh, then everything else kind of follows. But everything about that seemed to have been framed from the perspective of whatever is in the book happens necessarily, right? So when he writes that, he's not giving her a choice. He is condemning her to death, literally. Right? Yeah, I, I, I think that's kind of like a loss of specificity. Like, like kind of like, in, in my mind, the point there was that he didn't say she takes the book. It says when she takes the book, and if she doesn't, it wouldn't happen, right? Like, I, I don't know, like... Yeah, like, yeah, it's, like, just, it's, it's just fuzzy. A, it's definitely, it's definitely not great. I definitely and so, feel and so, that. And so, and and there's little bit, and so there's like little bits of uh, kind of things like that. There are actually, by the way, very good moments. I call these uh, "quote unquote" logos, um, which is like a Greek term, but it's just kind of when you add little details in order to make would-be plot holes make sense. You know what I mean? Um, like, for instance, a very good example of this is when uh, Mia gets the the book finds the agent or whatever and forces him to picture the names and write the names in the book before he jumps off the building or whatever because that actually also was a pretty like that was a pretty big plot hole um insofar as if you just know mia did it quote unquote right like that's that's it well how does she know all of their names right like how does she picture all of their faces kind of thing right that answers that question very neatly yeah um, actually that, that's actually um it, That's it, pretty it's, directly it, taken from the source material. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's very abbreviated, and it's also light. It's light who does it. I actually, fun facts in high school, we had to do a um a, a like film critic analysis of a scene. I did the scene of Ray Pember, uh, who's the name of the character in the anime, who who um who light targets and gets to write all the names down. I, I uh I did I did a full analysis of that scene. Um, but yeah, um, that's actually a really well done scene, I, I, I think, in, in, in the anime. Um, and I think the fact that it kind of gets glossed over, um, in the film is kind of a tragedy. Like, it's, it's another, it's, it's one of those kind of, like, lights to genius moments, which this movie doesn't have a ton of. It only has really one. Um, I think part of that is, um, just the fact that there's not, like, the movie feels like it's, it, it, it doesn't have enough time to do everything it wants to, at least from, from my perspective. Like, they seem to rush through a lot of things. Like, um, something that I think is is fairly critical for, for Light's character um, in, in the anime is he kills... A, like, he, he starts experimenting with the Death Note when he finds it. Like, because he doesn't believe it'll work, and then he tries it, and it works. And he has a couple other things, and then Ryuk shows up. Um, and Ryuk's all, like, very, very passive in, um, in, in, the, uh, in the anime, right? Like, he's always just kind of like, I'm here, this is fun to watch, whatever, I'm on nobody's side. I'm just going to sit here and laugh and basically be comic relief. Um, whereas in in the movie, he shows up and he kind of, like, pushes light in this direction. Like, he makes him use it the first time, which is very weird. Um, also, like, Ryuk's definitely supposed to be more of an antagonist here. And I'm, like, if this gets a sequel, um, like, I definitely feel like, the, like the, the arc of what this series or the cinematic universe, whatever the fuck you want to call it, is supposed to be is the eventual defeat of Ryuk as the antagonist, right? Like, you get hints of this, and it's like, only two people have ever, or, you know, only, my char my name has four characters, uh, only, somebody's only ever figured out two of them. Um, I feel like that's, like, the kind of bend they're going towards, is at some point, like, if they make more movies, that that's going to be the end. In fact, I, I can kind of see the outline in my head where, like, L and Light team up to kill Ryuk, and it'll be probably not great. But, um, I think that's kind of where they're trying to go with this. Um, but it but it shifts the tone a lot of 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 uh, and the character of, of light like like I said before light is nothing near his his uh, his Japanese uh, equivalent 
It sounds as though Light in in uh, either the manga or the anime is much more of a sociopath. Oh yeah, like um, that's the whole oh, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, like, that's like, part like, of the point. Like very, very, very quick. Like he starts out like this. Like this light, ultimately, doesn't kill anybody that doesn't deserve it, right? Like, right, right. um, and that's kind of like a weird step. Like light in the anime is very quick to say, like, well, if you're standing in my way, then you too are also unjust, and I will strike you down, and murders the shit out of everybody. Um, and it's about his god complex. Oh man, I actually want to mention another plot hole that I find fucking hilarious just because <coughs> this is actually less of a plot hole and just kind of more of like a um, like a logical inconsistency. The way in which L figures out that Light is Kira is hilariously bad. It is awful detective work, right? You know, like, they kind of play it up as if he's this, like, great detective. And I do want to give the film a little bit of credit in that, like, at the very end, it kind of makes this decision by itself when, like, Elle gets chewed out by, like, the police commissioner. He's like, you're not fucking good at this, right? Like, you're a fraud sort of thing. Because if you actually if you actually kind of, like, go back and look over Elle's decision-making, it is all full of kind of, like, bad, bad, like, like, just bad deductions, right? Oh, I think he needs to have a name, and I think he needs to have a face. Like, no shit, people have names and people have faces, right? How on earth are you going to be able to, like, pinpoint that as the factor so immediately, right? Um, or, the, or you know... Um, Actually, uh, that, that specific thing, like, they try to play out the scene where it gives credence to why L knows the face and name thing, and they, like, also butcher that scene uh, and then make it not usable because in the manga, and I'm sure, I mean, obviously the anime as well, there's a scene that happens and thereby L can make the inference that it must have something to do with the person's image and their name, but that doesn't play out the same way in the movie and so that can't yeah. give any basis. Yeah, they just kind of skip, I mean, there's, a, there's, a, there's plenty of places in the movie that I think they just kind of skip because they're just like, you know what, fucking, we don't have time for this, right? Like, like the whole bit with Watari and, uh, and like, the orphanage is also kind of along this line as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the hell, the, the whole fact that, with, like, you could, Watari being his actual name and that working is kind of dumb, right? Like, you could have fixed that too, you could just have him exactly. introduce himself as, like, Watari Kusanagi or something, and it would have been fine because you have his actual name and there's none of this, like, weirdness, like, well, that's clearly not his real name, you know. You, you could have gotten rid of that without much effort, and they didn't, which was really Yeah, and, 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 and the, the, the swiftness with which the movie kind of glosses over Elle's backstory and just kind of saying, like, oh, he was this brilliant orphan who was, like, put in a conditioning chamber for six months to be the world's best detective, and he doesn't have a name, you know what I mean? Like, the movie does that thing where it just kind of says something that is patently ludicrous, even in the context of this world, so, right? Yeah, that so, is a ludicrous idea, and doesn't, it just moves on. <laughs> so, spoilers, it's that bad in the anime, too. Um, it's, it? bas it's basically the same thing. It doesn't have the bit about the conditioning chamber, but, like, you find out that he was, like, raised... It was called, like, Whammy House or something. And then, at, at some point in the anime, spoilers, L dies. And then the camera cuts to, to that... Um, uh, er, to, to that orphanage. And his his his, uh, his uh, successors are being trained. They're named Mellow and Nier. M and N. Um, and basically, basically, it's the same thing. It's like an orphanage where they, they train 
uh, fucking detectives for some unknown fucking reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I actually uh, this is this is part of where I where I say that the the the, the anime doesn't hold up as well as as I think uh, as I think people want it to either. Um, yeah, I mean, even the community when those in the manga when that event happened, L died, and then we moved on to these new characters like everyone openly admitted that, like, this was not as good a series. Like, it was no longer as interesting. Uh, and, I mean, that, and it went on for another half of its length. Like, half of its length is without the L character, but it wasn't as popular after that point. Yeah, nor, nor was it as, as good. Yeah, um, no, I mean, for good reason. It wasn't yeah, yeah. as popular because it lost... I mean, the only thing that saved that series was the ending, Oh man, Warren, um, yeah. have have you ever seen Light Yagami's swimming lessons? I no, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> I'll I'll have to link it to you. It's basically someone. So the the end of the series is him being found out and him kind of like going crazy, but he ends up like kind of like thrashing on the floor a bunch. But somebody oh, has okay. erased all the text and replaced it with him explaining to Masuda like how to swim. And so like <laughs> as he's like crawling along the ground, it's like freestyle involves lifting your hand above your head. I'll I'll link it in the show notes. Okay, I'll, that's I'll send, great. Okay. And I'll, I'll send it to you later, Warren. But, you know, that's that's actually one of my favorite parts of Death Note is uh, is Light Yagami's swimming lessons. But I, I, I digress. Um, uh, but, yeah, um, the the fact they kind of tried to shoehorn that whole thing in there, um, I, I kind of get the uh, the reason because he, want, he wants he wants a way to get the name. Like, like he, he wants, like, a, a move towards that... Um, that, that finish line. And in fact, this is, is, is also like the only person that light has tried to kill that is ostensibly innocent, right? Like no, no one else like, um, um, and I, I think that's part of like, like, I feel like they're trying to paint light in a way where he's like mostly good. And he's mostly the protagonist in the, the anime series. He very quickly becomes like, like, uh, like, like you're not rooting for him, right? Like you're, you're rooting for, uh, for, for L to, to crack the case and win because, uh, Light's kind of turned into this like asshole megalomaniac who thinks he can, uh, thinks he can he can fix all the world's problems, but in the process has no qualms about like striking down anybody in his way. Um. Uh. Yeah, I mean, I think this movie tries well, like a very not as important theme in in the series and in the anime was this whole, like, morality of this main character, Light, right? Because, like, pretty quickly from the first few chapters, like, well, this guy's just not a great person. Uh, he's really okay with killing people. So, yeah. and so, and then it just kind of moves on from there, whereas the movie, commended at least for this, it tries to have, like, more of a conversation about what is moral about any of this. Um, I think it, it also kind of, glosses over that a little quickly like i mean i think it tries to have that as one of its themes but i think it also is kind of comical in how it handles that mostly because of the mia character um uh which is a whole another subject yeah mia is, is very much light's darker side um from the from the the, the previous stuff in this movie which which is it, it, it's interesting because like um people talk about like how like the, the original is brilliant in its discussion and stuff and, and like the anime actually kind of sets aside the question of whether or not it's right or wrong to kill criminals because they immediately plunge light into being a guy who just doesn't care. So, like, you can stop thinking about 
whether or not what he's doing is ultimately good or bad because he is killing innocent people in pursuit of this, right? Like, you can, you can very quickly toss that out the window. This movie takes pains to not let you toss that out the window. They just don't examine it very well, because I, I think because of timing issues. Again, I think that there's not enough time to let those kind of choices breathe. Like, I feel like if this was like a, like, like a, like a Stranger Things type series, right, you could have like an episode kind of hanging on whether Light will or will not like kill some innocent person in this, probably the FBI agents, and then have it um, like have it end with, with, with their death via, via Mia um, and have I, that work. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that, mostly from the perspective of, and I think that this is a problem, like a larger problem based on how we, we kind of do a lot of these adaptions for TV shows uh, or anime, right? Like where the kind of expectation is that you'll get the whole season you know what I mean? Like, you'll get a whole season arc when that doesn't really translate to film that well. Like, a great example of this would be, like, the last Airbender movie, um, you know, which is atrocious for a number of reasons, right? Um, but, the, you know, there's just, there's too much ground to cover, right? There's too much stuff. Uh, there's too much stuff going on, it feels like. Um, comparatively, I actually think that the proper way to approach this stuff is a lot more in line with what most uh, of these kind of superhero movies do, which is, like, really dram you know what I mean? Like, really dramatically reframe things to make, like, the characters authentic, right? Uh, and the situation kind of an echo of the original situation, but also something kind of, like, new and unique that's more slotted to that movie time length, I guess. Um, I, I feel like if you kind of want to try and go, you know, plot beat for plot beat, you're not going to get, you're just not going to get very far. Uh, and it's and it's just not worth anyone's time because you end up just, you know, glossing over super major, you know, aspects of, uh, of the story. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, that's, that's just a very common problem in the past 15 years. All right, well... Um, but, uh, what else is I going to say? Uh, I wasn't going to say anything. Uh, so, so, so Warren, I, I actually, I've got an idea here of like how, how we, how we could have saved this movie. Um, and I want to pitch it off of you cause you, uh, I, both of you obviously, but obviously Warren, you've got the, the background. Um, and I, I think it's kind of part of what I'm examining here is, um, that this wasn't an adaptation. I don't think it was ever supposed to be, um, I think the way, like, I'm, I'm going to pitch to you my, my idea for this movie, which doesn't change a lot about the movie itself, other than maybe some of the technical stuff. Like, we didn't get to this, but I, I think that, um, I think the acting is kind of poor from a lot of the, from a lot of the, the teenagers, um, and I think that doesn't help this movie a lot. Yeah. Oh, I thought Elle was fine. Yeah, no, I don't think anybody Elle, was Elle's really, not, like, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't think anybody was really good, even Willem Dafoe, I think, to be honest, but, like, uh, yeah, I think L was pretty fine. Even Nat, you know, I don't know, none of these were just, like, really really super bad i guess yeah no no yeah none of them were like comically bad but like i didn't think el or mia were, were particularly well acted i liked el that a lot every character in this well almost every character in this especially the main three had a scene where it just like i don't know what direction we're given but they missed some mark by a mile whether it was like from overreaction or something but like i i think every character had that point not to say their entire performances were bad it's just each of them had a moment where something went wrong during those scenes at least when it comes to their portrayal and their direction okay i feel that um but yeah anyway my, my pitch um so 
Imagine uh, th this popped into my mind almost immediately when when Ryu pushes Light into doing his first murder. Um, uh, imagine instead of like this being kind of a reboot in whole cloth, it's kind of more of a soft reboot, and um, we basically make this a sequel to the original series, but like not like a true sequel, like one where like the they retcon a bunch of stuff about the past. It's essentially, imagine if instead of L, the guy's like O, right? Because we already had M and N, and um. The events of the original series happened, but they were, like, super covered up by the Japanese government, so no one ever knew about it, right? Like, it was explained as, like, um, like a terrorist or something, or, you know, like, some some other phenomenon that get, got a normal explanation. Um, and uh, what's happening here is Ryuk is trying to make this, like, trying to make the original series happen again because he's bored. Like, the one of the big, Ryuk's big things from the original series is that he's bored and he's doing this because... <laughs> Because humans are so interesting. That's where the last line in the movie comes from. Right. Um, you know, humans are so... So so. he's bored again, and he's trying to force uh, the Light-L conflict to happen again. And that's why he kind of pushes this note onto Light-Turner. He happens to find a guy with the same name whose dad is also a cop. Maybe he can make lightning strike twice. And that's kind of like Ryuk's ultimate motivation. And that also, I think, plays better into his kind of role as the as as the antagonist of, of like the the meta narrative of, of the series right like what's presumed to be the series um and so you have light light turner who is not who is who is a different character right like he like ryuk has basically chosen this character on superficial similarities not based on uh like any anything real um and so he's not the same character so we kind of get away from this problem that everybody has with this movie which is it's not death note Right, it is someone dropped a Death Note in Seattle to a different character instead of a an adaptation of Death Note. Right, and I, I think by framing this as kind of like a pseudo sequel, I think we get away from a lot of those problems and we let the movie kind of stand on its own more, which I think gives it a much kind of better reception. Well, I'm particularly interested in Warren's thoughts on this because he's 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 read the original. Um, yeah. What, what do you th what do you think? Well, that's the thing. When I was watching this, uh, especially for people who've read the manga. So, the Death Note, right? Like, the Death Note that Light Turner opens up has, like, all of these rules in it, right? Like, just, like, tens of rules, like, maybe a hundred rules in it. Like, it's clear, like, he flips the pages, yada, yada, yada. The original Death Note in the manga had five rules. The original, like, had five rules, and that was it. And the series itself, especially if you, like, bought the volumes, like, they list, like, fifth, they list, like, almost a hundred rules, I think it's almost 100, but the point is that those rules are things figured out by the original Light character as he's experimenting with the book, uh, and as he learns more information. So that's the thing, like, already you have this whole basis you, should go, you could go off of that, like, this is the Death Note that the original Kira had, and he wrote in all of the rules, and he also was the same one who tried to figure out, you know, who was betrayed by Ryuk in the end and everything else. And so, like, I think that, and from, like, the get-go, first, like, 30 minutes into there, like, that idea was like, oh, that could be really interesting. It's odd, though, that we still have all these characters named the same, but, like, that could be a better way of looking at this. Um, but, of course, it kept going as to trying to, to be more than just a recreation of that L and light, like, back-and-forth tit-for-tat. Yeah. Um, and that's where I think it failed, is where it tried to mirror those events. Um, I think if it wasn't, if it didn't try to mirror those events as much, like 
that narrative would have been stronger because like people like me wouldn't be making this comparison, right? Like yeah, we no, just naturally agree. wouldn't be doing that. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's an absolutely uh, true and spectacular point. Um, uh, yeah, that, that, that mo- the movie definitely is weakest when it tries to be... Right, and that's the thing, like, there are commendable things in this film, like, you know, there are things that are good about this film, at least, you know, out of context if you don't try to connect them to certain things, but the moment that it is trying to duplicate scenes that were in the anime or in the manga, and because it doesn't have the time, because these scenes lasted chapters and or, you know, an entire episode, right, or more... And then all of a sudden, it, it can't accomplish the same amount, that same amount of traction. I do think that there, is, that there are certain aspects of it that work. Like, I thought that that conversation between Light and L in the cafe worked fine. Because uh, that was a... Di- well, and the reason why it worked fine is because that's not how they confront each other in the anime and manga. Oh, really? Because yeah. I've seen... Well, because yeah. I've seen a still in the anime of them in that, like... Of him sitting at a table and L is like squatting on the chair. I've seen that before. Yeah, so, right. so but that's like deep into their relationship, right? Like, oh, okay. That's yeah. like after L randomly shows up at Light's entrance exams for college and like sits next to him and is very weird. Um, and like that. So, so I think I think your point though, Warren, like it works because it's not the same as 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 the anime or manga. But that's also a scene that has drawn. Probably the most criticism um, and ire from the outside world that I've seen because it's an example of Light acting very much not like Light Yagami, right? Like, he gives right. he gives it up almost immediately, whereas Light Yagami would have been like, I don't know what you're talking about, and, like, been coy about it and would have been like... And also, L wouldn't have been like, you're, the, you're Kira. He would have been like, I think you're Kira. There's, like... Well, like, the whole series, L will look at, at Light and be like, there's, like, a 20% chance that you're Kira, and just kind of, like, leave it at that. And then it's them, like, doing mental volleys back and forth. Um, and yeah, it, it, and kinda, that's, Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, that's kind of, well, the comical way of looking at the series, like the anime and the manga, is that that scene in The Princess Bride where they're going to drink the arsenic and the one guy goes back and forth, <laughs> like, I think this and you think that, like, that is the entire manga in a nutshell. Is just people honestly pontificating about what their moves are, what their moves mean, and, like, you know, shadows within shadows. And that, of course, is not at all the structure of this movie, which a lot of people were upset about. Like, that's what they wanted, even though that is damn near impossible to make work in cinema. Oh, I think it's possible to replicate aspects of that in cinema. Just because, you know, like, if you think about a movie like Saw or whatever that that is predicated on these, like, incredibly complex... Uh, right, but you know, you're talking about a series but, that is five, six, like that's the whole. Well, well, so well, so the thing that I think doesn't make that work is if you're gonna have to do that in a movie, you you can't put that. You know what I mean? Like it can't be like a minor detail in a larger like philosophical treatise on the nature of justice, right? You know what I mean? Like you don't have the time for that. You can either focus in on this sort of like, you know, chess, the f- four, fourth dimensional chess. 
and make that the entire basis of the movie, right? D David Fincher has a movie called The Game that's a lot like this, right? Um, or you can make a like a, a philosophical movie that wants to talk a little bit about right like what the nature of justice is. And insofar as that those two things are mutually exclusive, I think the the Netflix film pretty obviously chose the latter, right? Um, and uh, and in a way, I, I think it does an okay job of discussing some of this stuff, mostly because Mia like Mia isn't particularly well acted, um, though I also don't think that she's bad. Um, her character is actually pretty interesting in a lot of the fine details, right? Like, for instance, she she uses, like, the moment where she comes back to light and says, I love you, the reason that that, mo that, that, that she does that and that that moment exists is because she's addicted to the power that comes from the Death Note, right? And this is when she thinks that she can get out of it. She, she stops... Uh, she like light isn't doing what she wanted to and so she tries to punish him by withholding herself but she's too addicted and so she has to come back and double down in order to be close to that power again and I think her like like her arc that character of being so addicted to the power and only interested in light because he's the keeper of the book right I think that that stuff plays pretty well yeah um, I yeah, I, I mean, like, it's it's not that I don't think those scenes play out well. I think it just, as a as a viewer, the Mia character confuses me. And I think the reason why is because, obviously, the beginning of this movie is about, like, light and this death note. When Mia comes along, it's very much a, oh, this is now my girlfriend, right? Like, I don't necessarily think the Mia character gets, like, enough time for me as a viewer to really understand where she's coming from. And that's, I mean, that's just a matter of time, right? And also a matter of the fact that she is not the main character, right? Like that's... So, yeah. I, I also think that a lot of this is just because the movie's so quick that you can miss a lot of the details. Um, in a lot of ways... So, um, <laughs> it's funny because I think this this happens in, in two ways. But it reminds me a lot of some of the movies that we've talked about on the cast before, like Avengers Age of Ultron or Man of Steel, right, where... Um, the, like, I, the first viewing, I was kind of, oh, you know, like, whatever sort of thing, but the second viewing, I was like, oh my god, I get it, and I like it, you know what I mean? I think that this is kind of the stuff that comes up if you watch the movie again more so than makes it to the stream the first time, mostly because it's very subtle, you know, like, I think because Mia is deceiving light... Um, when she comes back and says, you know, like, I love you, it's very easy on your first watch when you don't know kind of her whole character to to see that moment and think it's sincere, right? But on the second watch, I, I saw that and I was like, oh my God, she's, she's lying, right? It was so obvious to me, right? It was so obvious to me in hindsight that she was only interested in him because of the book, right? Um, yeah, I, I, and that, I mean, and that I, I, I think she's necessarily... I don't think she's necessarily lying. I think she might be confused about what she how, how she feels, right? Like she's mistaken about whether or not she loves him or she just loves the power. Um, I, th I think that's also a, a valid reading of, of, of the same the same thing. Uh, do I think that's a valid? I think oh, okay. I don't agree with that. I think she. I I don't think she loves him, right? Um, and I think the movie also thinks that she doesn't love him because it's trying to make that 
happen at the end with the book, right? Like, like the plot hole that I was talking about earlier is a plot hole specifically because I think the movie wants to frame it like this is an earnest choice, right? Even though the actual language that gets used suggests, right, that Light made Mia do this, I think the movie is pretending as though that's not the case yeah. and is pretending as though she has the choice. And insofar as that's the case, she is, she is lying. She's only interested in the book. She literally, you know, all he says is... You know, if you love me, then you trust me and you won't take the book. And then she goes, I'll take the book. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's the movie saying, yep, Mia doesn't actually love him. She just loves the power. Um, but I, you know, but I agree with you. I think that it is a valid reading to take it and say that she is confused. Um, yeah. Well, like, like thinking about it out, like the, kind of to try and explain away that plot hole, like Mia has a page of the death note. If light just burns the page and doesn't do anything about it then she can just write his name down again and take the death note. And, you know, my my claim, I think, to the contrary of, like, you know, she doesn't really love him is, like, she does give him the opportunity to hand over the death note and survive, right? Like, if she just wanted the death note, she should have just killed him and taken it. Um, and she does give him give him the out, um, which shows at least some, some kind of affection, I, I, I would say. Um, and then ultimately... Light sets this up not because he can't get rid of the the page if he wants to, but so like he sets it up that either he like she loves him more than the Death Note and he can take control back, um, or she's she's like obsessed with power and then he gets rid of her, and you know that's and and he protects himself from her that way by by setting up this kind of this Rube Goldberg machine of a plan, um, which is honestly very reminiscent of kind of. Uh, of like he is the most light in the moment where he's explaining how his how what looked like a weird set of chance was actually a thing that like he 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 measured out. I have um, seen people talk about that. I mean, it, it's it's very interesting to me because there's a lot of kind of parallels I think between how people have reacted to this and how people have reacted to uh, like Batman versus Superman. And I think the same the 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 critical reaction is kind of in the same sort of boat where like. Um, it's it's a very divisive movie from that from that perspective, and it's really interesting because as someone who was very embroiled in kind of that drama from like the BVS perspective, I'm very outside of it from this perspective because I'm not you know I'm not in the comics, uh, you know I'm not in the manga, I'm not in the anime sort of thing, and I'm just kind of watching as other people react to it. But takes that I've seen from other people seem to suggest that that is kind of the point of the movie to a certain extent that he doesn't really become quote unquote light Yagami right like. He doesn't become like a like that version of light until the end of the movie and in a way this is almost kind of his origin story for getting to that kind of four-dimensional chess playing um and it only kicks off at the end because the events of the movie you know what i mean like in a, in a way the death note hits him before it hit him in the in the anime or the manga, and it takes him some time in order to really realize and use the full power, like the Death Note, the the power of the Death Note to its fullest extent. I don't really know. I mean, I can't comment on whether or not that that's true because it relies on me having knowledge of the adaptation. But it is something that I've been seeing on Twitter, um, you know, so uh, and I, on Reddit when people talk about the movie. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, in the anime. Uh, I haven't watched the anime. So, Manga, you're saying in the anime, the way that this starts is Ryuk, like, talks to Light immediately? Or how does that play out? No, no, out? He, he, he doesn't. That's my point. Okay, like, okay, okay, right. Like, I got confused. Yeah, because in yeah. 
the manga, it's five days after he has gotten the book and he's killed hundreds of people. Uh, or, yeah, he's killed over a hundred people within that timeline as a conservative estimate. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember if he's killed that many, but he's definitely killed some people and has yeah. started, started enacting his grand plan. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, I, uh, I looked, <laughs> I, um, I watched a thing that w- that used references from the anime and whatnot to like deduce how many people Light had killed, and within that first week, he killed over a hundred people at least. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, and then it goes on. I mean, that's a whole nother video that talks about the estimates of how many people within the anime and manga series those characters must have killed, and it's roughly two hundred eighty thousand. Um, yeah, well, he, yeah. he gets he gets like a full ten years of basically unrestrained use. Um, yeah, six years. I don't know about. Oh, six I mean, years. Yeah, yeah six, six years. years yeah. Right. Um. But anyway, that's not really the point of this. Um. But yeah, I. Well, again, I think that scene being different, the whole Ryuk pushing the buttons for the first kill as opposed to the independent character of Light deciding to just go ham is just another, like, sincere difference in the character, in the character of Light and sincere difference in how the Ryuk character is supposed to be taken um, from just benign to antagonist. Yeah. Um, Actually, um, if you'll excuse me, buddy, for a moment, I want to ask you, Warren... Um, did you, did you like the end of the, um, of, of the manga, or assuming the manga and the anime end the same way, did you, did you like that ending? What I like about the ending, uh, is kind of a fulfillment of the Ryuk character that like from the beginning is obviously very interested in the storyline, but like kills him, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like that's the successful part. I mean, the crescendo of it, I mean, it's it's played out like some weird giant action movie. Everybody's in, like, an abandoned construction building, and they're all talking about things, and the big plan has been revealed, and right, like, that's incredibly cliche. But the poetic justice of this character, who has been benign the entire series, finally doing something he told the main character he'd do within the first few chapters. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely, I get that. I don't know. I'm... I don't like like I, I appreciate that and I can appreciate that piece of the ending, but the actual act where like he's not like he is not taken down by like some like great scheming and somebody reading him right and like somebody being very smart. He's taken down because somebody else makes a mistake. And it's not even like yeah. a mistake that like that uh Mello anticipates. It's literally like somebody makes a mistake and then somebody happens to catch that mistake in progress. Uh, for, for those of you who don't know, wow, um, that's lame. That's so bad. Yeah. So so so, so what happens is, is that he is real quick thing though that happens a lot, and we just don't talk about it when it comes to the series. Like there are many specific instances of someone messes up, someone catches in. Fortunately for the Kira character, it doesn't turn out the way of him being caught. That actually happens a lot in the series, but we just don't talk about the fact. Where, where, that where else hold. does that happen? Like, so, it might not happen in the anime, which is maybe yeah, why I'm... yeah. No, well, that well, and then part of it's like little things like the uh, the the FBI agent thing. His fiance, of course, oh, yeah. like gets on the trail. But the thing is, she originally shows up where there are cameras at the police headquarters, and it's only because she makes some weird mistake that everything turns out. I, like, just reread this chapter, like, a day or two ago. Yeah. Um, 
but that's the point. Like those things happen where these little mistakes are made, and it's only because the wrong person catches them that the Kira character makes it out. Yeah, no, yeah. like you're absolutely right. Like, like, like in that feels better. I think because at least in the anime, um, Kira basically like tricks it out of her, right? Like he he. He, yes, by great fortune, happens to be at the police station as she's trying to report the fact that she's potentially got a lead. Um, um, and that that's definitely a, a luck point that you, you are absolutely correct about. Um, uh, but he, when he hits that, he tricks her out of, like, out of her name, basically. Like, he figures out how to, uh, um, he, he, he figures out how to basically push her buttons until she gives up her real name, and he can kill her. Um... Mm. Um, but just, just so, so Buddy understands, um, the way that, um, the way that Light dies in the main series is he has basically contracted out part of his, his job to a, a devout follower who's basically a prosecutor who is, who is very zealous for justice as well. Um, and they both attempt to get rid of somebody and, uh, like get, get rid of, a, a, another character. Um, but that involves this, this secondary character breaking from his routine, which arouses the suspicion of the guy who's tailing him. Right? Oh. It's it's not like it's not like they were like, and this will force out this kind of move or whatever, and they catch it. It's just kind of like literally somebody makes a mistake, and the guy that's tailing him picks up on it. And it's not like I don't know. I wanted I wanted it to be like um, someone like near or L like like lobbing like lobbing. The, the perfect final shot that does the reversal, not some random happenstance. Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of thing is necessary, and I think the the impetus for this is creators getting a little bit squeamish. Um, uh, you know, it's like the ending of Breaking Bad. You know what I mean? Like, if you if if your character is a shithead, right? He has to like he has to get that comeuppance in the end, and a lot of the time that comeuppance comes because of his own hubris, right? Um, and all of these kinds of glossed over mistakes that he's made uh, coming back to bite him in the ass kind of thing. I think that's the only way that you can structure these kinds of stories. Um, otherwise, they just feel real shitty to end. Uh, I, I think you could have ended this with like either N or M figures it out or like some like mysterious clue that L has left M finally bears fruit and he figures it out. Um, that's like... I don't know. I, I think I think there are much better ways to, to have to have done it than the, than the way it did. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know how you feel, Warren, but uh. I mean, I I think when it comes to that, for on the one hand, it is like, it's just the very simple fact that like the series could like can't just keep going, right? Like I right. think it's the very simple idea that it is somewhat an easy out for the author to be just like, well, finally things add up and he's out, like right, like finally something isn't noticed, some mistake happens, the right person sees it, and then it's over, right? And uh, to some degree, like, I don't... Because of... Especially because of how the L character is portrayed in a certain light when it comes to, like, this is, like, a modern Sherlock Holmes, the mm -hmm. best deduction possible, and then from the get-go after he dies, they dies, they introduce these two characters who are both given one significant flaw which is why they are not as good as this super detective and so on the one hand it's like well if one of them won in the end then it's like oh they won for L on the other hand you already built this character who couldn't do it 
And then these two characters that are specifically written with significant flaws to each of them, which is why they are not necessarily elves incarnate. Um, I, I like don't know. I, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure if I'd be more satisfied, right? Like, yeah, that's that's fair. I, I mean, and I think, and I, and I think that was one of the problems with Death Note in general when it comes to the fan base is just like people really got into that, and they still are, right? Like, that's the reason we're even talking about this because people are super heated about whether this was good, whether it's an adaptation, yada, yada, yada. And I, I think when you're a creator, an author, writer, whatever, and you're watching that fan base, and I'm not saying a director or writer, whoever should necessarily bend to their fans, but, you know, like you said, they get squeamish. You know, that is a natural reaction. I, I think that's I think that's super, super fair. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I also think that there's, uh, like, maybe you just don't have the, the wherewithal to make this kind of thing happen in kind of, like, a teenager-focused anime, uh, if, you know what I mean? Like, I could also see something like the, the creator of Death Note, like, wanting this kind of thing to happen, but, like, him getting pressed by whatever Japanese publisher or, uh, you know, studio is making the anime, you know, like, whatever else kind of thing. Like, I understand that, like... Uh, that these kinds of creative decisions, which I think of as being kind of better in general, right? Like, a guy like Light needs to be taken down, uh, kind of, um, you know, but, but because of stuff that he did at the very least, right? So it's not a cop-out, essentially. Um, like, I think that kind of stuff is, is better, but I also don't know the context of what the production of this kind of thing was like, so yeah. really, I, I you mean, know, a yeah. very, well, at least when it comes to manga, I mean, the anime is one thing, obviously, like, they, they could have ended it in a slightly different way, whatever, and I don't know how they exactly ended it in comparison, but when it comes to Japanese publishers and ending series, I mean, it, you know, it, obviously it's a case-by-case -case basis, but one of the things is that uh, because the whole manga story arc structure is very much a long-term structural thing when it comes to story arcs, like, those endings are known months in advance like the timing for those endings how many chapters they're going to do them in is known months in advance especially when it comes to a high profile series like this and so honestly like they knew when they were going to end it because of the popularity of this and i'm sure the popularity was waning and when the popularity wanes for something that was pretty much on top they give it a death day like they specifically tell the author to wrap it up but they, I mean, they give him plenty of time, but, and that's where the whole, I think they had plenty of time to figure out how they wanted to do this, right? And it just ended up that they ended it that way. And that's for the manga, obviously, you know. The context of this movie, like, I mean, you said it yourself, this has been in development since 2007. So when it comes to my argument about how this script looks or yours, like, that's still a long period of time, right? At what point... Were they just like, we gotta shoot? Like, was it pretty quickly, or did they know well in advance how much more time they would have to doctor this script? No idea. Yeah, uh, do you guys have final thoughts? Uh, wrap, wrapping up, recommend Death Note one way or the other? Hmm. Uh, you mean the movie, the series, any of it? Any of it, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I think... I think, like you said, like, if you want to watch a, con well, if you want to watch a movie, like a movie length, if you want only two hours of your time taken up, and you want to watch something that's about, like, teenagers given this power and, like, how they respond, right, like, then I think this movie's fine. Um, if what you wanted instead 
was something longer form that was more about uh, how people think, like how people deduce and that whole investigative process in a battle of the minds. Like then you watch the anime, you read the manga. I mean, I think they're just for different audiences. I think just very easily they're for just different audiences. And I think no matter what, somebody who likes how the movie presented itself is not going to like how the manga or anime presented itself and vice versa. Um, especially when it comes to using the same characters. Yeah, I, w- I would say kind of similarly, like, if I, I would recommend um, at least the first half of the anime to anybody. Um, I would say that, like, if you watch the movie with the attitude that it's not Death Note, the series, but another story about the Death Note in a different situation with characters that all happen to have the same name, then if you approach it with that attitude, I think you, you would enjoy the movie as as, as a existing kind of fan of the series. Um, like, like, like I said before, I kind of wish that they just had changed the names of the char- uh, characters and, like, made it a, a, another story of the Death Note. Yeah. Um, Expe- I mean, especially if you could have disconnected the L storyline thing, if maybe it was not about this super detective, but just about the struggle between the Light character and the Mia character and the power of the Death Note, right? Like, maybe that would have been more successful. We won't know, since she's dead. Yeah. I also think... I think the detective... Like... I think the fact that L is not as, like, as brilliant or as kind of like the same as as he was in the in the um, in the show in the in the manga, like if you had just changed his name, having kind of like, like it's, it's kind of like almost like you know like weird kind of like you know this this the same thing always happens, but like you know the, the cast is slightly different or whatever. I think that's like a compelling kind of sort of uh, pitch for this movie too, right? Like. The, like it's like a fucking like like I guess like Zelda maybe right like you know it's it's the same circumstances but like the link's slightly different the Ganon's a pig this time and Zelda's a pirate um like you can you can you can play that as kind of like the core theme and it and it I, I think it would have worked um but yeah um if you pretend like that's what's actually happening I recommend the movie um also, I, I could see you enjoying this movie kind of on its own if you can look past some of the technical problems and some of the pacing problems. Yeah, I mean, in the same way that I would recommend someone go watch the theatrical cut of uh, of something like Batman vs. Superman and say, you know, like, listen, it's not necessarily a good movie. There are a lot of problems, and you're going to notice them, right? Um, but it's really interesting, and it's unique, and that makes it worthwhile, right? The bigger crime, as far as I'm concerned, is something like Ghost in the Shell, which is unremarkable in all, in all aspects, right? There is nothing about Ghost in the Shell that, that, that stands out, that says that there is, uh, that even if it has problems, these are some things that, that this movie is doing that nobody else is doing. Even if Death Note has problems, there are some things happening here that I think are really cool and that I would really recommend that people, uh, that people watch. You just kind of have to watch it with an expectation of, listen, right, this isn't, this isn't a masterpiece. Um, and it honestly kind of sucks to a certain extent that there kind of won't be uh, any kind of like extended cut that could come save uh, that could come save 
Death Note. I think Death Note has deeper problems, like deeper logical problems that couldn't be solved just by the addition of, you know, a couple of scenes sort of things. Uh, but I really do like, I, I really wish this movie was good, right? Uh, that would be that would be really cool, but I get why people um, are very divided on it. I understand why it's a divisive thing uh, for folks in the anime community, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. That's that's mostly my that's mostly my thing. Anyway, so we should talk a little bit about our weeks, I guess. Um, the first thing that I wanted to talk about was we played Hell's Rebels last week. We did. Uh, Man, this so this feels so weird. Normally, we're recording the day after Hell's Rebels. Now we're recording the basically the week after Hell's yeah, Rebels. Yeah, the day before Hell's Rebels. Yeah. Um, um, so prison uh, pirate stuff. Uh, I we've been given the note that we need to explain a little bit more about what happened. So okay, um, uh, there are pirates attacking, uh, like raiding the trade the trade ships coming in and out of Kintargo. That's a problem that needs to be solved. Uh, and uh, and the players. Uh, Essentially, I, essentially, the, the the question was, how do you guys want to solve this problem? Um, and you came up with a solution that uh, I didn't quite anticipate, but I think works pretty well. I guess um, I don't know. Yeah, well, I don't know. I I I had fun with it. I guess. I mean, I, I always kind of do. Um, Oh, no. You know, it's funny. I was reading. A, I was reading an article that wasn't written by the Angry GM, but was linked on his Twitter page um, about how players don't like sandboxes uh, in in RPGs. Right, like that. If you actually give someone a quote unquote real sandbox, um, they typically are paralyzed by indecision because there's too many things to choose from, uh, and they that's, end up making That's decisions. just a weak person. That's well, that's the, just well, a... <laughs> and the, so so the, so the idea is that like. A, a true sandbox where you can make any kind of choice or whatever uh, is something that paralyzes you because there are so many decisions that you can't, you know, that, that it's impossible to weigh them all kind of against one another. Um, and what ends up happening is people make decisions arbitra for arbitrary reasons, right? Where they just kind of essentially flip a coin and say, we're just doing this because, you know, we have to make some decision and we can't properly wrap our heads around it, so let's go sort of thing. Um, and I think that this speaks a lot to how I view kind of sandbox things where what I like to do, I, I, I am less about here's a bunch of different situations, choose from them. And I am much more about here is a situation, choose from a couple of different ways that you could possibly handle that situation. Um, and in that sense, you guys, uh, you guys kind of, uh, did that, uh, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Very yeah. rarely do I find that you guys end up going with this, with the solution that I, I always pre-build, build a solution just in case like there's, you guys get stumped, right? Um, just to give you something sort of thing. But I always feel like you never take that. Uh, I can't think of a time when you've kind of opted for the, uh, the kind of straightforward answer yeah, most it of the time. We hate going with the straightforward answer. Yeah. <laughs> we, um, our, our team absolutely hates going with the straightforward by the oh, book. Yeah. <laughs> um, just kind of add on to what I believe Angry Jim has written an article in the past that basically says, in this situation, you should give the, the players like a couple of choices, and then if they come up with another one, to be receptive to it, but to give them some base choices so that they they can they can just kind of slide into something if they want to. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think we've got a, a like... Uh, a crew that's kind of like very like very okay with like arcane weird decisions especially because like i don't know how you feel ab ab about it as Marigrig, but i feel like alaric and uh and, and beauregard 
love to just kind of like, 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 like uh, talk themselves in circles for a while until they come <laughs> up with something, until they come up with something obtuse to do. Um, and everybody else just feels like they're like, oh yeah, this sounds great. Let's, let's, uh, what do I need to hit? Um, uh, but yeah, I, do enjoy I mean, it. yeah, I mean, I, I think it makes it kind of interesting, right? Like, obviously all of our characters have like different motivation and it, I mean like, and they're just by the fact that both your motivation and Alaric's have like very, oh, well, it's not very little, but it's little to do with the actual storylines, which is that like, we are a rebellion, uh, to thwart the evil everything, right? Like, the church, the state, it's all evil. We're going to rebel against it. Whereas, like, that's, like, Alaric just wants to be important with the school again. You just want to be important, right? And then there's, like, these three other guys who've, who are tagging along who may be about, like, more altruistic reasons. I mean, the cat doesn't make any sense for that purpose. But the point is still the same, right? Like, and you get these three other just, like, rough and tough guys to follow you around as you, like, make up shit. And I think that's fun. I don't know. Like, I just think it makes it more interesting than we're just a bunch of good guys who are gonna fight off, like, legitimate evil, right? Just, like, by the book, in the storyline, evil. Yeah, um, no, I, 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 I really like the kind of dynamic where it's, like, like Beauregard or Alex, like, well, we could do this really bastard thing. That would work out for us. And then yeah. one of you three is like, no, no, bad. That's but that's the thing, right? Like, it works. It works almost perfect that we're that we're a group of five, and it's always this three to two vote where all yeah. you and Alaric have to do is convince one of us yeah. to do the wrong thing. That, the, that thing, the, the very questionably moral thing is yeah. actually like five. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. Great example. Hell, we even still came, even when we didn't have Alaric, we still came up with that same thing a couple weeks ago when we decided to like let the whole stealing oh, let people. The academy. And, yeah, like, let the academy like brutally like, torture refugees. Like, when there were four of us, we agreed to just like right like in in the situation where it was only Beauregard and whatever other notion coming up, like instead of the whole like, no, we're not doing that, we went into a stalemate where we were like, oh, okay. Well, sure, yeah, I mean, we'll let it slide. One of the things that's very important to me about the game is that uh, I'm trying to give you guys a lot of choices, and specifically choices to compromise with evil, right? But where they're not obviously bad, um, because I kind of think a little bit of what makes the idea of, like, lawful neutral... I'm sorry, lawful evil an interesting alignment is that, yeah, they're evil, but they're also going to hold to their word. I think a lot of the time um, in media when you kind of get, like, the good guys and the bad guys team up. It's never something where, like, the good guys and the bad guys can trust one another um, just because, you know, it's implicit that the bad guys are duplicitous, right? Uh, but when you have a lawful evil villain, right, um, and when you're dealing with people with people who are lawful evil, that principle doesn't function anymore, right? Because these are people who aren't duplicitous, right, and who will kind of uh, hold up their word. And so I find it very interesting to, to do this kind of, and we've done this like a million times by now, these different permutations of like, here's an evil thing, right? But like, one, you can hold them to it, and two, they're like, there's also a lot of benefit to be had by it. Um, and and th those those questions are always very interesting to me. The other thing that I wanted to ask about, which is not related to D and D, um, uh, is uh, so there have been two big gaming controversies this week, and I want to just like 
Oh boy. I, I just want to ask a little bit about your opinion. Oh, yeah, Mango. Yeah, you ready for this? The first one, which is the yeah, little you, bit you less... you might have to uh, give me a bit of context. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. So the first one, uh, which is kind of like the less divisive... Well, maybe it's the more divisive, probably among us, um, is uh, a games journalist uh, by the name of Dean Takahashi, I think, who writes for VentureBeat, uh, which is like a tech blog. He writes for GamesBeat, which is kind of like the games version of that. Um, he They posted a video... Uh, of him playing uh, the the hotly anticipated platformer Cuphead, um, where he is awful. He's just fucking garbage at this game, right? Uh, which very quickly kind of turned into a lot of people calling into question his credentials as a uh, as a game you know reviewer, as a games journalist more broadly, right? You know, like kind of all of these other sorts of things. Um, and, and it started this conversation about, w w which kind of revolves around this principle of like, do you need to be good at video games, you know, whatever that means, in order to properly, you know, like, in order to be a games journalist? All right, so I, I'll, 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 I'll let you think on that, Warren, because I, I have thought about this for a while, so I already have an answer. I'm sure. Um, um, <laughs> basically, my, my, my view is, is you don't need to be good at video games to be a good games journalist. Um journalist in the sense that like you can do things like go and find out like why the pachinko industry operates the way it does mm -hmm. um see super bunny hop um and i think that that's fine i would mention that dean takahashi got some th very basic things wrong about this game on the journalism side of this so you know he's got some problems there too he claimed that these that these guys were the guys that made um super meat boy uh, well yeah, yeah super meat boy which is not true this is their first game um, so he's got some problems there. Um, um, and the other thing I, w I would say is that you, like, there is a meaningful distinction to be made between, um, journalism and reviews. And I do think you need to be at least base competent at a game to be able to give a proper review for a game. Um, and I, I think that's the important distinction and that's the thing that gets muddled. Um, I saw, um, basically Super Bunny Hop made a tweet about this and then wrote an article about it on his Patreon, um, uh, explaining kind of... The, this thing and, and I could see in his Twitter responses people muddling it up right like people who who don't play fighting games and don't not understanding fighting games giving fighting games bad scores because they don't understand kind of what the game is going for and somebody in the community who understands what like that fighting game is going for uh likes it better right and because because it is, it is a fighting game for for fighting game gamers or whatever and I think um that that divide there is important to recognize that like you can't just throw reviewers and journalists under the same umbrella, or at least kind of like acting as a reviewer or acting as a journalist. And, and I, I think that's like the most important thing to acknowledge in this situation. Okay. Like, uh, the, the most frequent counterexample, by the way, is just the kind of quote unquote, you should be good at your job. Um, I watched uh, Total Biscuits podcast, the co-optional podcast where he talks with, God, a bunch of people. Quill Do 18 was on there, actually. He usually um, he usually talks to Dodger and Jesse Cox and then yeah, one yeah. guest. Um, and, uh, and honestly, I actually think it's very worth it to go see what he said about it because he muddled the fuck out of it. First of all, he committed basically all of the big sins, which I think are the big traps to kind of fall in here, right? Uh, because as far as I'm concerned, Dean Takahashi seems to be 
uh, a pretty poor choice uh, to kind of make any kind of definitive statements about what this looks like, what this game's look like. Right? I, I, I agree with, I agree m m mainly with your point, right? Um, but, uh, but Total Biscuit just goes in on this guy and just shits on him. And he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, like, I mean, maybe you shouldn't be so garbage at your job and we wouldn't be like, you know, telling you to fucking kill yourself and shit like that, which is like all of the worst stuff that you would, that you could possibly, you know, that, that you could possibly, um, ascribe to the people who take this question in as bad faith as possible and come to the most, like, like awful conclusion, um, as, as, as possible. Um, but anyway, I'm sorry, Warren, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I, I mean, so, so th this, this guy, is he considered a reviewer or is he considered a journalist? Um, so yeah, I, 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 mean, I, it's, it's, I, I yeah. think that's actually kind of like part of this controversy is like, I think there was a pretty strong argument to be made at the outset that what he was doing was not necessarily a review. Um, I think there, I think you could argue that either way, but, um, uh, Brad Glasgow, um, who who, uh, who makes content that I enjoy, he's, he's the guy behind Game Objective, um, pointed out that like within a couple days, he put out a statement that said something along the lines of like, "See, this is why game developers should make the like." He, he basically used this as like a springboard as to why game developers should make the tutorials easier or something. And at that point, I think he acts as a reviewer, and at that point, he's open to the criticism that him being bad at the game has negatively affected his ability to perform his job. Um, and, and that's, I, like, like, I think typically this guy doesn't do reviews, and I think VentureBeat kind of positioned this article incorrectly, because it kind of felt like it was supposed to be positioned as, like, um, a reviewer, at least a hands-on, right? Like, like, like an evaluation like that. Uh, okay. I mean, I, I guess it's just, my viewpoint is that, like, obviously, like, a journalist, right? Like, a journalist can have, on the offset of anything that he or she investigates, like, no knowledge of what this thing is. And then the whole point of their, their journalism is to go in there, find out stuff, regurgitate it to the public, and the public learns about this thing, right? The job of a reviewer is not that. The I mean, necessarily. Like, the job of the reviewer is to take a service, a product, a thing, and already have a working knowledge because otherwise, like, they are just a layman to a layman, right? Like, I don't, this is probably a poor example if you don't know guns, but like, I don't go to a gun shop from a guy who's never shot a gun, and I don't go to, like, and I'm more likely to go to a gun shop from a guy who was in competitions and has shot things all his life, right? Like, and of course video games the same thing, right? Like, I don't, I don't really give a shit about a reviewer who is the same level of garbage as video games that I am, right? Like, I don't care because... I'm not going to learn anything new than what I would know when it comes to these games. Uh, and I guess that's kind of a you have to know the people you're getting your information from kind of argument, right? Like, like if you if you were going to look at this guy and you're specifically looking at his articles because you want to know how a game functions, it's good points, it's bad points, well, this situation right here kind of clearly states that, well, he can't tell you those things because he can't really play the game. But if you're going to it because you're just like, oh, this guy, like, played this game, I want to kind of hear about it, I know nothing about it, then, well, as a journalist, sure, he can tell you something. But, of course, this is a very particular situation that I, I think it just, I don't know, I mean, whether or not the guy is good at video games, I don't really give a shit, but it's kind of clear when 
you as the journalist, reviewer, whatever you consider yourself, is doing the thing, the thing you're trying to talk about, and it's clear even to yourself that you're not accomplishing the goal of whatever that is, then clearly you're not going to be able to report on some part of it, right? Like, in the case of video games, like, if you can't get to some 10th level and people want a full review of whatever you're looking at, then your article is lacking something. Like, you can't report on something. And that's not necessarily the worst. Like, your article could still be fine. But then if people are coming to you because they want that kind of info, then you've already failed them. And that, of course, is more on the public's than on the reviewer or the journalist, right? Like, their failings just mean that their viewers move on. Yeah, I, uh, you know, interestingly enough, and I've never, I haven't seen anybody attack it from this kind of angle, but this is something that Monte Cristo used to say about League of Legends all the time. Um, he's really bad at League, right? Like, he, he's like a silver, he's like a bronze silver player, you know what I mean? Uh, but when he was still working as an analyst uh, and as a coach and as a caster, right, he was one of the he was one of the the most knowledgeable people about the game. And I think the same kind of principle applies, um, kind of on mass uh, to 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 everyone, right? Like you don't need to be an expert in playing the game to be an expert on the game, if that makes sense. Um, and I also think you know, and this is this is also the part that causes some people to kind of like go one way or the other. I think this kind of thing is typically a facade for kind of just like elitist gatekeeping kind of bullshit that like almost kind of wants to be protective of gaming. Like I think the biggest problem with the sentiment of quote unquote you need to be good at your job is the idea that it that it that it that it's too narrow a mindset, right? That that the mindset needs to be big and it needs to be wide and it needs to include as many people as possible because, you know, there are more than just like you are not the the audience for every single journalist out there if that makes sense right uh this is something that like polygon has been pretty upfront about before you know like they are a very liberal out out uh uh they have a very liberal outlook um and the stuff that they put out is kind of tinged in that way and they think about things from these kind you know from whatever this kind of like woke i guess culture um uh, and and they're and they're very upfront about that, right? They're like, the, we don't, we're not, we don't care about people who don't want to be this kind of of reader. We are looking for this kind of reader, and we believe that there is this kind of audience for this kind of reader, which is why we make the articles that we make. And I think that kind of, you know, being open to that kind of specialization is important, right? Um, that there are people who have never played a fighting game before and review it, and people who have, you know, been playing fighting games since Street Fighter Two and review it, right? That variety is important to the health of uh the kind of the scene um uh in 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 total you just kind of have to be like upfront and honest about how that stuff goes down uh, I mean, the other controversy that's also that the up, natural outcome of consumerism right like yeah yeah definitely. the more people who are consuming the more specialized their needs and same goes with journalism which is definitely part of what I th why I think this gatekeeping kind of thing exists right uh is that like there's a certain subsection of gamers who don't want you know, casuals, right? This is the same kind of people who complain about casuals, right? Uh, they don't want casuals kind of invading their kind of quote-unquote hardcore space. Um, and so this is one of the tactics that they would employ in order to kind of accomplish that goal. Uh, the second controversy that came about, um, this one being uh, a little bit less... Uh, well, uh, so PewDiePie, right? Biggest biggest YouTuber on, uh, on the platform, right? A games let's player... Um, 
he was doing a live stream of PUBG, and in the middle of a game, uh, he called someone entirely pejoratively, right? Like, like absolutely to, to say that they are a huge piece of shit. Uh, he called someone the N-word, um, and, uh, and the reaction to that has been also very interesting. Uh, Mango, uh, we've been embroiled in this cult, in, in this controversy as well, uh, but I don't think I've heard about your thoughts on this yet. Do you have, do you have um, an opinion? So, so I think, I think part and parcel of this, um, that you have to acknowledge too, is, is in light, in wake of this, um, Campo Santo developers of Firewatch have said that they are going to DMCA, um, PewDiePie's video, on, uh, on on Firewatch and any other videos he makes moving forward, which is within their their currently their full legal right, they're definitely allowed to do that. Um, Ryan Morrison, uh, based, very recently did a, uh, a a whole podcast. I think it went up like um, uh, when you guys hear this, it'll be like maybe three or four days ago. Um, uh, about like how they are absolutely allowed to do this, um, and and that's and that, that's that's all fine and good. Um, on that matter in particular, because I think this is the easier thing to talk about, because you even have uh, feminist frequency saying that this is a bad thing to do. I think that um, the the act of uh, of taking down uh, of, of issuing a DMCA um, to kind of punish someone is is not a great thing to do. Um, and so I'll I'll put that out there that like even though I think what PewDiePie said is is unacceptable and 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 terrible. The correct response is not to DMCA him. I, I think that that's like just like a bad thing to do. And the fact that they've gotten so much um, pushback on that from everybody is kind of indicative of, of kind of like the the, the culture around um, streaming and let's plays and, and how this so, is potentially dangerous. I've seen um, I've seen a couple of arguments around this idea. Uh, the first of them is kind of just uh, like Boogie made this, which is kind of the slippery slope argument, right? Like. I don't necessarily begrudge these specific developers in this specific situation. What I fear is using this as kind of a precedent to um, uh, to kind of make it more uh, like to, to to make it a more acceptable thing to do to you to weaponize essentially these DMCA's um, to to only. Uh, uh, to, to, to punish people, right? Or to only, I mean, the way he puts it is kind of like, to only allow people who share your politics to play your game, right? Uh, and then there's the other view of it, which is like, no, it's not even, it's not a slippery slope thing. It's just a, it's just a thing, right? This should not be how people use DMCA and, co the, the, they should not use their DMCA and their copyright this way. Um, that it's not, not even, right, that it's, it's not even about the context of this situation, but just the principle in general of how the DMCA gets used, right, of how cop of how we deal with kind of copyrights in the culture or whatever, right? Like, like this is just wrong from that perspective. So which of those two would you subscribe to? Uh, I, I kind of fall in, in, into that second camp, mostly because, like, uh, Let's Players and Streamers exist in this very kind of tenuous kind of, like, legal gray area where everybody kind of, like, winks and nods at each other, um, mm -hmm. And I honestly think that there should be legislative reform for around Nintendo, this. Uh, yeah. Except for Persona 5, <laughs> I um, guess. <coughs> right, but they all, like, they're all at least upfront about it, right? Like, mm. like Persona 5 put out day one a notice onto, as to how you could stream this game, right? And at least people moved into it knowing what it is. And part of this, too, you know, is that Campo Santo put on their website explicit permission to stream their game, um, which they are, again, free to rescind whenever they want legally. Um... But this kind of, this idea that, like, you know, 
let's let's say you decide you have it out for Monte. Let's say Riot decides they have it out for Monte Cristo because they're tired of him shit talking them, right? Uh -huh. Um, they wait for him to put up three videos with League of Legends footage in it, right? They can immediately rescind their copyright and strike all three of those videos, causing him to lose his channel. Um, which I think is like, it, it, it's wrong, right? Like it's 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 legal, but it's it's uh it's 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 duplicitous. It is it's incorrect. It would be an immoral thing to do. Not that I'm suggesting that right would do that they have interesting um see i well i agree with you but to me the wrong thing there is it demonstrates how awful the copyright system is on youtube oh and that is youtube's fault as far as I'm i concerned. mean well that's this is a little bit of like how we were talking about metacritic being used or, or like not allowing people to like update their reviews and so you know games can have bad metacritics for like years or whatever even after they've been patched and shit like that like like to me that's not a description of a problem with any particular game or any particular developer right that is you know the developer taking advantage oh, yeah. of this incredibly is, poor systems on youtube this is so. this, this is a problem with the current state of legal affairs surrounding fair use okay, right sure like yeah YouTube, like, yes, this YouTube system could be done better, I think, um, but not without, like, a lot of manpower. And there's, there's a whole thing I could go into on that. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is they do it this way because the way that DMCA works is if somebody informs you that you that there is um, infringing content on your platform, which you are not responsible for because you're an open platform, you must take it down immediately and put it up pending review, right? You can... You, you must immediately take it down. If you delay in taking it down, you open yourself up to be legally liable to a lawsuit. So, like, the fact that the law exists in this way kind of forces this situation in a lot of ways. And the, the three strikes thing, I think, I don't know if that's kind of like a, 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 a thing that they need to do or it's kind of like a safeguard that's like, well, this person is infringing a bunch, so we don't want, like, you know, because there are people out there who will just upload TV series mirrored with, like, boxes around them. You know, there's, like, 700 different ways yeah, to... Yeah. To w upload things to to YouTube to try and fool their 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 copyright detection system, and I would guess that this three strike system works pretty well for most for for most of the way it's intended to is does take down serial copyright abusers who aren't trying to do anything that even comes close to fair use like it's literally in, in intentional piracy, um, and the fact that it breaks when it comes to these these edge cases I think is is, is a is a thing that needs to be in uh, examined under the like, like the, the law needs to be rewritten if only because there are plenty of people out there whose livelihoods rely on this right like um like uh even with this the adpocalypse which is another pewdiepie related thing um potentially that happened uh, uh six months ago or so um uh like um if like you you have people who moved out of their you know moved out of their parents house or whatever and potentially quit college because they were making a decent income on YouTube and then the ad revenue shifted. It's not that they stopped being good entertainers or whatever or started changing their content. It's that they were deemed by an algorithm, which to my to, to my eyes at least, is not working very well, uh, as being advertiser unfriendly and they can't pull in the same amount of money and they're worrying about how to pay rent. Not that I think that, like, you know, they're necessarily owed rent, but, like, we've got enough people in the situation that something needs to be done to kind of set the line down um, set the line down either way. That way people can, like, move forward in their lives and not potentially, like, you know, ruin themselves over something that they thought was a sure thing. Okay. Uh, Warren, how do you think about all of this, uh, all of this stuff? 
now that you're hearing about it for the first time. <laughs> I mean, I, I knew that PewDiePie was an idiot. Um, I mean, he... I mean, even I, who, like, don't really get too deep into, like, the happenings of streamers ever. Like, I knew from, like, months and months ago that PewDiePie just, like, kept making mistakes and was either going to be ostracized or lose his channel or, like, a bunch of stuff was going to happen to him because, you know, he apparently is, like, not a great guy at times. I don't really know. I don't know the guy and I don't care about the guy. I'm not going to start caring about the guy. Um, but... Uh, conversations about just like how can we use this legal construct that we have in place that maybe we need to tweak to punish somebody for their morally apprehensible things like that that's just not that's just not I mean I agree with you guys like that's just not how any of these systems should be used like PewDiePie makes this just garbage decision to not watch his mouth uh, and be a racist and then the reaction is like, well, we have to do something in order to, like, disassociate. I mean, it's that, it's the dumb 21st century, like, advertising constantly mentality within businesses that, like, oh, our brand, we have to protect our brand, we have to disconnect ourselves from all these things that individuals do, and it's like, well, but, like, that's PewDiePie, like, that's him. Like, the only thing he ruined was himself, like the, the all like he didn't like he didn't change anything about like your content or the game or what it's like all he did was ruin his own character and responding with the idea that like oh no no we have to do something to protect our assets because he plays this game i just think that's the wrong mindset like i think that is not is assuming people associate certain things that they just don't like like, no one is going to go, like, oh, PewDiePie's a racist, so the stuff that he plays clearly is in support of that. Like, no. Like, people are adults. People use their heads. So I, I don't really understand. I mean, I get it. No matter what, there was going to be some kind of action so that these parent companies' invested interests could make it seem as if they're punishing him and they're against it and, like, oh, look at us. Like, we don't support this stuff. And, like, yeah, no, you shouldn't support this stuff, but... This isn't how you get something accomplished when you have, like, a social issue that you don't agree with. Like, this is how you start the conversation that's starting right now where people start to question your motives and what you're doing and why you're doing it instead of the actual, like, oh, yeah, that company doesn't agree with what he said. That's not the conversation we're having. The conversation we're having is, is this legal, is this morally, ethically, or legally reprehensible for them to use this power for this purpose of punishment? Like, it's, it's just not serving the purpose they want, and so I think it's a complete waste of time. I also think, in, in a way, that, like, doing this also takes away from the uh, the conversation about, um, like, like, the conversation about the act that occurred, right? Right, like, yeah, and it that, definitely that, does. That it is definitely the thing does. that kills me the most, because uh, as someone who very deeply believes that these kinds of problems are not... I mean, you can just go and, and and look at the comments on videos or the way that people have been responding to tweets about this kind of stuff. The amount of people who want to excuse this behavior and try and say, oh, everyone does this or whatever, like, I, I it, it is endemic to me of deeper problems that need to absolutely be kind of confronted and solved. Um, and I and I definitely hate that, you know, the kind of conversation has shifted away from 
those aspects uh, of things. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, and I get it too, right? Like, I was the kind of person that would use, you know what I mean? Like, rape as a verb to talk about dominating my opponent in a game, right? And I really regret that kind of stuff, right? But the point is, is that, like, in the same way that I've recognized that that's okay. And, by the way, to his credit, PewDiePie did put out an apology video where he doesn't, you know, make any of these kind of excuses or anything like those. That You know what I mean? Like, he very clearly took sincere responsibility for the kind of stuff he said, talked about it in the larger context of, of, of the culture. And I think he really kind of hit that, all of that stuff on, on, on the... Uh, on the head, right? I don't want to take away from that or, or suggest that he didn't do any of these kinds of things. But I think that the people responding to that video, right? The people responding to people calling PewDiePie out, these are the kinds of folks um, who are trying to make excuses, who are trying to say, oh, it's not that big a deal, who are trying to say, every gamer does that. He was in the heat of the moment, right? I think these people are really wrong and that the focus should be on correcting that behavior. Yeah, I'm, well, and... I mean, every, everyone who's ever played a video game in an online platform knows the toxicity of a lot of modern games. And, I, I mean, I don't know how often it's talked about, guys. I mean, like, you guys actually know how much it's talked about in journalist reviews or people and whatever and whatnot, but, I mean, I don't hear it in the mainstream about people bringing up that toxicity up very much. And even when you have something like, here's a gamer, and he's using, like, inflammatory language that's just, like, wrong that's but again the point is but that's that's not even the conversation right now like we're not we're not talking about the fact that well that comes from the fact that a lot of people in this community are okay with that like that but that's not the conversation like and i don't know if that's just very common within this sphere of the gaming world to just like gloss over that conversation because i don't hear it very much um so so i i think the issue is um as in many things is when it comes up i think it's kind of overwrought like um like if you want to get down to like technical bare bones and 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 i might regret saying i might have to cut this but like like pewdiepie saying this i don't think makes him a racist right like i think like this this gets used in the same way like and, and obviously it's, it's unacceptable and it's wrong i'm not trying to excuse what he said um but it's used the same way that people would use um the the f word that's a homo that's a homophobic slur or um or uh, I'll, I'll just go full whatever our word which is is seen as like a, a mentally ableist slur now um like people use those terms kind of offhandedly and i don't think that that indicates any sort of like internal malice to the groups that those words are harmful to um but it's a problem that it's that, that it's easy to say and that and you know that's its own problem i don't think that that means that in his heart felix um which is pewdiepie's real name hates black people um, I think that's probably not the case, and I think that this is the type of thing that you should train yourself out of. And as, like, a role model to younger people, PewDiePie should be watching his mouth a lot more than he is. Um, but I think that I, I think the kind of immediate jump to say, like, see, PewDiePie is a racist and always has been, doesn't kind of do, like, like you, you get enough people coming out of the woodwork was like, well, that's not quite right, and not to say that anything he did was okay, like... Notch had a notch of all fucking people had a tweet about this that was like calling someone a racial slur is a cunt move or something like that. Oh my <laughs> god! What the? Oh my god! Oh, oh my god! But but it what doesn't but fuck? it doesn't necessarily like make you a racist, right? And you get enough people in the kind of like that space that it kind of also 
muddies this water in the same way that th this DMCA thing muddies the water. So um, I so I mean the, the, so I, I kind of hate this part of the conversation because it kind of misunderstands a lot of yeah. things and gets and, and gets really easy to like spiral out of control. I think so. Here's the thing. I think what he did was racist, right? Using that word was racist, right? Because ju just because it, it's a racial slur, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. And insofar as that act is a racist act, right? Like I'm, I'm very comfortable saying that kind of a thing. But like you know, trying to trying to none of us are inside of PewDiePie's head, right? We don't know what he thinks about this kind of thing, right? Um, and I and I just think it's it's exactly the wrong kind of tack to 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 kind of. Uh, and I and I've seen a little bit of this though. Most people, um, uh, even those who are typically prone to this kind of behavior, have have um, like stayed away from it. But there's there's a, certainly people who kind of look at this thing and see like, see, he was a racist all along or whatever. And it's just like, come on, you know, that's I, such well, bullshit, and that's so it's I, not worth anyone's fucking time. Um, I, I mean, I think I, I, I if we're gonna talk about like, uh, so. This this is not a conversation that necessarily should be said for this thing, but like the whole statement, just like see, he was racist all along, like that. <laughs> like he's a white male in the United States. <laughs> he's like, not, well, no, I he's mean, not, this is actually kind United of States. important. He I, I mean, Swedish I don't know. And he's living in the UK. Um, okay, I, 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 I mean, think there's a whole conversation there about like so, the cultural connotation actually, of the word in that situation. I'll bring it up even more. Then, like, he is from. He was raised in a predominantly white country. He lives in a not as predominantly white, but still pretty high numbers. Uh, and so, I, I mean, I'm not arguing whether or not he's a racist, because in my mind, like, racism is a thing. Like, it is a thing that most people are taught in most first world countries from a young age into their adulthood. And it's just a problem everyone faces because everyone mistrusts people that are different to them, not because that's necessarily the natural reaction, although it is animalistically, but also because they're taught that, right? And if we're going to have this, like, larger conversation about someone, like, being a racist, then it's a larger conversation of, aren't most people kind of racist? Like... I, and yeah, I, I, well, so I think the distinction that's getting made here is kind of the difference between like, let's just say like capital R racism, you know, like, I mean, like I mentioned this last night in a conversation with Mango, like there's, there is a difference between kind of like Bull Connor, right, David Duke, KKK, you know, like that kind of racism and, and the kind of inherent or implicit racism uh, that, that we all kind of quote unquote suffer from i guess if we i i don't quite know the best verb for that but like i yeah, mean unfortunately the, the, the best word everyone, is embrace <laughs> right the, the idea that everyone is is a little bit racist in very implicitly ways with which they bias thing i mean the term is literally implicit bias i think that's a very real thing um and that's true of everybody right that's not that's not uh unique to kind of pewdiepie but insofar as people are trying to say you know, that PewDiePie is capital R racist in that way, I think that they are missing the mark, essentially. Um, so, I mean, I think but it's, yeah, I definitely I, agree with you. I think that, I think that the idea and the term of racism just, like, is is also a very complicated one, right? So, like, like, I, there's I, all I think, say, I think stay, saying the word automatically just kind of, like, launches stuff into a shit show, especially... Especially on on Twitter, which is for worse, oh where, god, yeah, where, where all this happens, right? Like the like <laughs> the 140 characters leaves no room for nuance. So I, I saw. I want to say. I, I want to end on this note because I thought it was hilarious. Which was um, someone who said 
saying the word is somebody was just like you know like subtweeted something it was just like you know what saying the word is racist full stop and then someone in there like in the replies said um uh someone in the replies was like well what if you know like what if i i I had a gun to your child would you let me say it and he'd be like everybody's gotta die sometime right and then it just kept going (laughs) with like with like crazy scenarios to try and excuse the use of the n-word by a white person and the other guy just like wouldn't move and it was really funny to watch them go kind of back and forth on it um so you know, even being racist is a little bit funny, I guess. Um, but hey, anyway, we uh, we, we, we had time, we but... had an act of bona fide humorous racism last episode. Um, if you remember, I called the Chinese barbarous. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, um, <coughs> check out check out our our five hour question spectacular for that. But we do actually have some follow up from that, segueing into something completely different. Um, uh, we have some. We have a a a, a point basically set in by uh, by Rachel to the podcast. Um, in your 100th episode, you and Buddy answered my question of "Will you marry me?" and you, Mango, said no. But then a few moments later, you expressed that you were ordained to officiate weddings and would be willing to perform such service for Buddy and I. Wouldn't that technically mean that your answer should be yes, since you would be in fact willing to marry Buddy and I to each other? <laughs> and I will respond by saying, yes, that is, this is like the most perfect email that this podcast has ever gotten. I love it. You are absolutely correct. I take back everything I said. <laughs> Rachel, I will marry you to Buddy. <laughs> I, funnily enough, funnily enough, uh, Warren is one of two people that will be uh, will be our nice. witnesses. Uh, Can uh, I get a witness? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but anyway, thank you very much for coming on the cast, Warren. Obviously, yeah, pleasure. yeah. Uh, I'm sorry we did not get to talk about Breath of the Wild. I know you've been playing a lot of Breath oh, of the yeah. Wild, but these controversies are so beautiful. No, I and mean, I, wanna, I, like, well, I love we, to talk we even, about the drams. I wanted to talk about uh, a, uh, a scar no one else can see. The Max Landis treatise on Carly Rave Jepsen. See, I'm not all the way done with it. Though I am okay. like, ha- well, maybe like a third of the way. I don't really know how long it is. But it's beautiful and it's amazing and I highly recommend it to everyone. Yeah, I'll, I'll put a link to it in the description. Uh, we'll probably end up talking in the end segment in one of the, in the next few episodes. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. Uh, Warren, where can people find you? Or do you want people to find you? If you want people to find you, where would, where would they find you? I'm more than happy with people just finding me when we play Hell's Rebels. <laughs> All right. That's, that's fair fine. Enough. <laughs> did, you, did you want to promote anything you're involved in or anything? Uh, there are these SEC ESPN commercials running right now. I did those. That's about Ooh. it. Really? Yeah, That yes, that is a true statement. I worked on those, so watch so, them. If you watch football, you've probably already seen them. Ooh. Watch watch commercials, guys. Watch commercials. Uh, they pay uh, my watch, bills. Watch commercials. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, uh, and then, uh, well, I guess it's time to do the outro. If you'd like to send us an email, like the one that we received from Rachel, you can reach us at podcast at somedervsplaygames.com or somedervsplaygames at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash somedervsplaygames. You can rate us on iTunes. You can, uh, uh, comment and rate and like us on SoundCloud. You can uh, send us comments, emails anywhere. We will read all of them. We love them. Um, and I think that's it, buddy. Did you have anything else that you wanted to promote? No, I'm all right. Uh, in that case, um, until next time, dear listeners. Farewell, loyal listeners. Bye.